A-T-I-V-Y-A-H dot O-R-G. The Lord's Supper and Passover, recorded July 19, 1998, at North Atlanta Church of Christ, a two-part series. Part 1. It's not in the Bible, but it's a wonderful tradition that we've inherited from the British. And it's an opportunity to uh, learn, to study together. And I'm going to give you this morning the opportunity to decide what direction we're going to take. I could talk about the Passover from a historical point of view. And, and tell you the history of the Passover and how the customs and the, the traditions developed. Through the Old Testament and the prophets and into the New Testament. And in Christian history. That's one possibility. Another one is to uh, scratch where it itches you more. And that is uh, to talk about the churches of Christ and the whole issue of holidays and, and biblical teaching about the holidays. Um, so which direction do you want to take? The first. Any objections? Okay. We'll do with... The first, the history of, of the Passover. You want to do a little bit of both? You must be Jewish. <laughs> uh, but all of the plan of salvation, all the picture of redemption that we have in the New Testament is taken from the Passover. How does history end? According to the New Testament. In the book of Revelation. How does history end? What happens to end history? In the book of Revelation. Huh? The Lamb of God returns. That's true. But give me more specific. Like the end of the book of Revelation. What happens? What? Louder. Will be... In heaven. It's true. That's the beginning. The way that history ends is Satan and all of his angels are cast into what? Into the sea of fire. Why is it into a sea of fire? Pharaoh and his armies, where were they cast? When the children of Israel passed the sea... In dry land. What happened? They went into the sea and they drowned in which sea? The Red Sea. Do you think that there is a connection with the fact that Pharaoh and his army is drowned in the Red Sea and Satan and his army is drowning in the sea of fire? Do you see a simile, a relationship between the two? Also, what happens to the church before this happens? They get raptured, right? You heard of the rapture? Where two are working in the field together and one is taken. And the church is taken up to meet Jesus coming down in the clouds. Yeah? Remember that? This is what? 
It's like the exodus from Egypt. We make an exodus from this world and then the world behind us is destroyed and God gives us a new heavens and a new earth. Right? And when the saints are gathered around the judgment throne of God, they will be singing what? The song of Moses and the Lamb. Why should you Gentile, Protestant, or pseudo-Protestant Christians sing the song of Moses? Isn't that from the Old Testament? What are you guys doing in the Old Testament? Singing before the throne of God the song of Moses? What relationship do you Gentiles have with Moses? Yeah? Why the song of Moses? What is the song of Moses? The song of deliverance. In Exodus chapter 15. Yeah? That's the song of Moses. That Moses got up and, 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 and all of Israel sang together with him the song of deliverance. And Miriam got up and with a tambourine and was dancing. Yeah? With all the daughters of Israel. That's the song of Moses. So here is the whole church, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, in front of the throne of God. And in the last scene of history, before the judgment throne of God, they will be singing the song of Moses. Why? Because all of the plan of salvation is based on the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And in those promises was the deliverance from Egypt. That's where the whole story starts in Genesis chapter 15. Yeah. God had told Abraham to get out of the land of Ur and go to a land that he will show him and give him. And that he will give him a seed and Abraham had no children of his own. And finally, God reveals himself to Abraham in Genesis 15. And that's where the key to the whole gospel is in the book of Genesis. Did you realize that? You cannot understand the gospel unless you understand Genesis. It's the most difficult book in the Bible is Genesis. We teach it to children as children's stories and then we have once every few years, a quick survey in which we do the whole book of Genesis in one Sunday. Yeah? But there's not, not a more difficult book in the whole Bible than the book of Genesis. The rabbis say that if you understood the four first chapters of the book of Genesis, you would unlock the secret, secrets of the universe. First four chapters only. The whole secret of the universe is in the first chapters of Genesis. Genesis has got everything. It's got love stories. It's got spy stories. It's got intrigues. It's got violence. It's got murder. It's got every patent place and Dallas and dynasty. And everything is in the book of Genesis. And also Carl Sagan's science show. Is in the book of Genesis. Yeah. 
But we have allocated it to children because of a negative attitude that we inherited from our forefathers about the Old Testament. Yeah? The Old Testament was the scripture that the early church had. Paul hadn't written Ephesians yet. And, uh, and we neglected, but the whole thing starts, the whole story of the Passover starts when God tells Abraham, get yourself a few animals, cut them in half, and go to sleep. And in his vision, Abraham sees God like a torch of fire pass between these two rows of half animals. Animals half in half. And then in open Genesis 15, let's read it together. I read with an accent, so I'm going to ask you to read. Here is a microphone. Yeah, give it to somebody to read. Genesis 15. From verse 12 to 16. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with the great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's a lot of mystery in that scene. Yeah. Where Abraham falls asleep and he sees God passing through the half animals as a torch of fire. And God tells him, listen, it's true I gave you the land and to your seed forever. It's true I gave you the blessing for all the nations of the earth. It's true that your children will not inherit this land for 400 years. They will be enslaved by another nation. And only after those 400 years they will come back to this land and inherit it as I have promised. So the slavery in Egypt was a planned event, prophesied event that God prophesied to Abraham. So the whole story of, of Joseph and his brothers that were sold, he was sold to Egypt and he became a slave in the house of Potiphar and he went to jail and he uh, became the, 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 the prime minister of Egypt and he arranged for the five, for the seven uh, fat years to save the grain and build granaries so when the seven lean years come they will have food and that his brothers then had to come down there was, a, there was a famine in the land of Canaan his brothers had to come down to Egypt to get food 
All of this was pre-planned. Have you ever thought of it? There was somebody up in heaven programming history. And he told Abraham, don't worry, after 400 years they'll come back. And I will give him the land. And it's interesting, the reason that God gives there. He says they have to wait their turn because the sin of the Amorites has not been fulfilled yet. In other words, God was going to punish the Amorites. And he knew that he would have to punish them for their sin. And he knew that they would continue to sin and not turn to him. And for that reason he said, Israel, you wait your turn. When they fulfill their sin... Then you can come back. Your, your children, children, after fourth generation, they will come back. And the Amorites fulfilled their sin. And God's plan was implemented. And the children of Israel were taken out of the land of Egypt by a man called Moses. Who was raised in the household of Pharaoh and it was not an accident that he was there. God planned that too. So, the story of redemption started with Abraham. Not with Jesus Christ. Not with Pentecost. It started with Abraham. It's hard for you to imagine this, but I want you to ask questions. Don't be shy. It's not a lecture. Okay? It did not start... In Pentecost. It did not start at the cross. You Gentiles who were a part of God's plan of redemption. When God told Abraham who was a Gentile. To leave his household. And he said in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yeah. That's when the story starts. Starts with Abraham. God had you in mind. When he told Abraham to leave the land of Ur, of the Chaldees. And so, the story of Exodus is a very major station on the plan of God for the redemption of the world. Did you know that, how many of you have heard of John Chrysostomus? Anybody here heard of John Chrysostomus? No. No. Yeah, Bob has, somebody else has. Chrysostomus is one of the saints of the Catholic Church. Saint Chrysostomus. And he was a big jerk. No less of a jerk than Augustine was. He hated the Jews. He lived at the end of the 4th century, beginning of the 5th century. And one of his most famous sermons is called the Pascal Sermon. In which he tells his church in Asia Minor, in today's Turkey. He says, you Christians, why do you go and celebrate the Passover with the Jews? It says, don't you know that the Jews are the God killers 
that they sacrificed their sons to idols. Look what they did to Jesus. You're not ashamed to go and celebrate the feast with the Jews. That was about 150 years before the, the Catholic Church proclaimed Passover a sin and changed the Passover into a pagan holiday named after a pagan goddess called Ishtar. Yeah? Did you realize that? Easter is named after Ishtar, the Canaanite goddess of fertility and spring. The Catholic Church did that at 610, and they did it on purpose. But in the, in the, in the early 5th century, Chrysostomus is condemning the constituency of his congregation, telling them not to go and celebrate the Passover with the Jews. Why would he have to do that? Because the early church celebrated the Passover. That's why. One of the earliest Passover Haggadah, story of the Passover, was written at 280 by a bishop of Sardis named Malito. Malito of Sardis, one of the church fathers. Yeah. Wrote Peri Pascha, the first pa- one of the oldest existing Passover Haggadah, and it all had to do with Jesus as the Passover lamb. You know, we have robbed ourselves by losing the respect that the Old Testament deserves. We're not under the law. We live under the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But our roots are in the Old Testament. That's the roots of our faith. I'm ashamed of some of the professors in our Christian colleges that write books about the roots of the Church of Christ and they go to Luther and to Calvin and to Zwingli and to Hus and to Scotland and to Ireland. Man, I'm a Jew. I have nothing to do with these guys. They were all anti-Semites. It wasn't an accident that the Holocaust happened in Germany. Luther had said before his death that he wished for all the Jews to be gathered inside their synagogues and to be set on fire. And his disciples did it 500 years later. It was no accident. Those are not my roots. My roots are in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah. Yes, brother. He had uh, been living in life for 20 years, and I feel like for myself, for 29 years I was believing a lot of stuff that was not biblical. And something that really brought everything to focus for me, a couple weeks ago I was reading in Matthew chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 4, when Jesus was led out by the Spirit to the desert to be tempted. And the very first temptation, and I have read the scripture many times, but it didn't make as much sense as it does now, where man does not live by bread alone, but by every word spoken out of the mouth of Christ. 
and sometimes, sometimes, you know, I, I get a little teary-eyed when I think about how we were prohibited from reading the Old Testament. For that matter, we were prohibited from reading the Bible without a priest being present. And I really try not to get into judging the denominational order and all that, but when I think about how sometimes we in the church, we forget that the Old Testament is just as important, and I read this scripture, it really cut me to the heart, and it made me realize that that's probably why we don't even understand how important God is with obedience in the New Testament, even with grace. That's right. In 91... No, yeah, in 91, my wife and I were going to take a vacation. And I said, why don't we go to Bulgaria? It's my, the country of my birth, where I was born. We'll go to Bulgaria, it's cheap. We can afford it. You know. And uh, she's here somewhere. I don't know where she is. Where are you? Mar- oh, here she is. And we went to Bulgaria. I said, you know, I've al- always heard about Hotel Bulgaria in Sofia which is right in the center of town where my parents used to go and it used to be a very fancy hotel. So we booked in that hotel and it was a dump. Yeah, 50 years earlier it was very fancy, you know. But after 50 years of communism it became a dump. But it was right in the center square of the city. And we put our suitcases down and we looked out of the window and there was huge riots. People were dragging out of the mausoleum the founder of the Communist Party and they were burning him in the middle of the square with an old Gigoli car with, with the books of Marx and Engels and we, were, we arrived there on the day that the Communist Party fell. And uh, to make a long story short, the vacation turned out to be in a preaching campaign. And we invited, you know, the doors opened up and, and we hired a movie house for $43 a night that held more than 500 seats and it was filled up every night. And we invited brethren from Europe, from Greece and from Scotland and from everywhere else to come and help us and from the States. And the first night after we preached, an old man came. He was a priest, 70-year-old man. And he gave his life to Jesus. And I, 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 we, had, we didn't know where to baptize the people. So I paid for everyone to enter into the health club of the Sheraton Hotel. And we used the jacuzzi. <laughs> uh, as a baptistry. And when the old man came out of the water, he started to just bawl, crying. He said, 70 years of my life, I wasted... And now I don't have that much, that many years to give to God and to Jesus Christ and, and, and serve them according to the truth. Yeah. That's what the word of the old man, like you. He said, 70 years of my life I've wasted serving the wrong, the wrong church. Yeah. But, but it's true. You know, our, the, the prophets, one of the prophets says, our forefathers have lied to us. Yeah. My forefathers lied to me. I'm not sticking to my subject, but it's okay. Uh, my forefathers lied to me. They told me that Jesus was an imposter and that he was the God of the Gentiles. Yeah. And your forefathers have lied to you. 
No. The New Testament says, judge not one another concerning these things, concerning the Sabbaths and the new moons, or what you eat or what you drink. For all these things that were written aforetime were written as a shadow of the things to come. It doesn't say don't celebrate the feast. It says not to judge one another. Yeah. What does it mean not to judge one another? If you're Jewish, you can celebrate the Passover and Hanukkah. And if you're Christian and you, you want to celebrate Christmas, remembering your old roots in paganism, go ahead and do it. <laughs> you know, we can't judge you. But, but the issue is this. The New Testament doesn't say not to celebrate. The apostles did. The church did. The early church did. Paul says, I must go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. In Acts 18, when he's taking the money from the Gentiles and the seven Gentile boys to Jerusalem to dedicate them to God. That's in Acts 18:21, but in your Bible it may be in the margin or may be taken out completely, but if you have a King James, it's in there. Yeah. Uh, but, but these issues are very important. So here are the roots of the Passover. God told Abraham, "Your seed will, will, will be slaves to another nation for 400 years." And he arranged history in such a way that it happened. He caused the famine. It happened. They were slaves in Egypt. Joseph went to Egypt and prepared the way for them. And they came because of the hunger. And he gave them the land of Goshen. And then Joseph died and a pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph. And they were stuck in Egypt. With the cucumbers and the leeks. Of the Egyptians. That's the English translation, right? They were crying, remembering the cucumbers and the leeks and the onions of Egypt. Uh, and then God provided the deliverer. Moses was raised in the household of Pharaoh. He knew all the secrets of Egypt. He had access to the Pharaoh and his household. God prepared history in such a way that these things would happen. And then he took him out of the land of Egypt with ten plagues. You think God couldn't have taken him out of Egypt without plagues? He could have taken him out of Egypt without plagues. But he gave the Egyptians ten plagues. Why? Because remember when Moses came the first time to Pharaoh? And he said that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has commanded his children to go out of Egypt and to celebrate and to worship him for three days. You know what Pharaoh said? Remember his words? Who remembers what Pharaoh said? Who is God? That's what he said. Who is God? Well, God said, okay, you don't know me? Let's get acquainted. <laughs> yeah? You get a little itch, a little flogs. A little blood in your water. Your firstborn will die. You will experience what darkness really is. 
you get to know who I really am. Yeah? Because Pharaoh said, who is God? Okay. God has ways to make himself acquainted with you. If he loves you. And so that's why the plagues came. And finally, Pharaoh begged the Israelites, just go away. You know, take your stuff, take all the gold of Egypt if you want. Just leave us alone, go away. God is keeping his promises. And when we're talking about the Lord's Supper, yeah, this remembrance is not only mental. You know, we say, uh, usually in the churches of Christ, we say to people, you know, set your mind... Think about Jesus while you're taking the, 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 the bread and the wine. And that's good. But it's not enough. Because it's not only thinking with your mind. It's remembering with your heart. Yeah. It's remembering with your whole being. Yeah. When we talked about the phylactery, I mean, uh, we talked earlier about the tassels. We read from Numbers 15 about the tassels. But in the same chapter, in, 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 in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, we're told about the phylacteries. To write them in, as frontlets, in the English translation says, at frontlets between our eyes. Yeah. How many of you know, know what, what I'm talking about? Phylacteries. A few. I'm going to show you what it is. Somebody read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Uh, read it loud. Where is the microphone? Go ahead. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay, notice. God says there to the Israelites to bind them on the hands, and we have one that you, you, you tie on your hand. It's a little box. It's a little box, and it has a strap, leather strap, and you put that on your hand. And inside this box there is a text. Four passages of text that mention this commandment. One of them is Deuteronomy, one from Exodus, one, two from Deuteronomy, one from Exodus, and one from Numbers that we read earlier in Numbers 15. Okay? Inside this box there is scrolls. Little handwritten scrolls that are placed inside this leather box and you tie that on your hand. That's only to remind you what God commanded. And the other one is, you tie as frontlets between your eyes. You put it like that, in front of, on, on, on top of your head. As frontlets between your eyes. 
And then you read the same four passages are written in here. Okay? So that's the phylacteries that Jesus is telling the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23. He's telling the disciples, don't broaden the straps of your phylacteries. Don't make your phylacteries big. And don't make these straps broad so that you will, everybody will see that you're wearing them. Yeah? Keeping narrow. In Matthew 23, you can read that. And uh, so it's done to remember what God has done for us. And uh, to remember that we are not supposed to only think about it with our head. Yes, front is between your eyes to remember, but also to tie them on your hands in order to do them. The memory with the doing. It's not only memory mental, but it's memory also in practice. In with your heart. And so the Passover then becomes the center theme of God's redemption in history. Yes. I didn't hear again. What did I do with my Bible? See, I forgot what I did with my Bible. Um... They are Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 uh, to the end, Deuteronomy chapter 11, mm. what? 13321, chapter, chapter 11. 13 through 21, and Exodus mm, 13, 1 through 10. Thank you. So that's the, the four passages that are written inside these boxes that, that all speak about remembering and doing the will of God. Yeah. And so then the prophets in the, describe the end of history in the, with the paints, with the words of the Exodus. If you open in Isaiah, I know the time is up, just a couple more minutes. Isaiah chapter uh, 51, verses 9 through uh, 11. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength or arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, in the days gone by, in the generation of old, was it not you who cut Rahab, Rahab to pieces, who pierced the monsters through, or the dragon through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? The ransom of the Lord will return the ransomed of the Lord will return they will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy will crown their heads gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away or will be no more in one of the translations yeah in other words that's the picture of the last redemption and it is described with the same colors as the crossing of the Red Sea, as the exodus from Egypt. Yeah? 
And in the book of Revelation, you see the same thing. In other words, this is a part of our heritage. That we have allowed the Catholic Church and the Protestant tradition that came out of the Catholic Church to rob us of our heritage. We have got to continue the process of restoration. And a part of the restoration is restoring the times and the seasons that God has appointed for His family. Yeah? As Gentiles, you were grafted in. Yeah? There are no Gentiles in the family of God. You were Gentiles. As it says, a former time, you were Gentiles, called uncircumcision by those who are called circumcision. You were without God, without hope, without promises, outside of the commonwealth of Israel. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off, have been made nigh by His blood. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah. In other words, you were far off, now in Jesus Christ you've come near. Near to what? David has become your king. Abraham has become your father. Yeah. Moses has become your teacher. Yeah. Isaiah has become your prophet. It's a part of your heritage. And we've got to reconnect with these roots if we want to have a future. Because if you don't have a past, you will have no future. And we have a rich and wealthy and wonderful past. In the revelation that God gave for the church. In the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. That's all a part of our heritage. And we have not lost it forever with amnesia. No matter what our predecessors and our forefathers have taught us, we have an obligation to relearn the truth of God. And uh, it's a big challenge. I know that time is up and I appreciate very much the opportunity to be with you this week here and I hope to see many of you here. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Nativia, www.netivyah.org.